Paradise Lost is an epic poem by the 17th-century English poet John Milton, published in 1667. In its most creative fashion, it supplemented the biblical story of the origin and the fall of man, and imaginatively explains how and why Adam and Eve are tempted by the fallen angel Satan, and thereby their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. It is considered to be Milton's masterpiece, solidifying his reputation as one of the greatest English poets of all time. Thank you for tuning in to the Global Novel. I'm Claire Hennessy. Joining us today is Dr. David Lowenstein, Edwin Earl Sparks Professor of English and the Humanities at Penn State University. Thanks for joining us, David. Could you tell us more about yourself and your relationship with Paradise Lost? Well, thank you, Claire, for inviting me to be、uh, to be on this、uh, program、uh, with its its wide global reach, and so I'm very happy to be on it and and to talk about Paradise Lost to a, a wide ranging、uh, audience.、Um, well, for one thing, I'm editing Paradise Lost right now for Oxford University Press. So、um, this is a, a new a new edition of the poem. The poem was first published in 1667,、mm-hmm. uh, and then、uh, restructured by Milton himself into twelve、mm-hmm. books、um, in 1674. And this is the first edition to bring together the first lifetime editions, the, the first editions published during Milton's lifetime, to bring them together and juxtapose them and talk about the implications of, of them. But I've been Teaching and and writing on Paradise Lost on and off really for throughout my whole career. So、um, that's right.、Uh, it's a poem I've worked on for a long time. In your own words, what is Paradise Lost about, and what it means for modern readers? Well, that's a very good question. It, it、um, Paradise Lost is obviously about the, in a sense, is about the exploration of human origins. Uh, even going in some sense beyond the terse details of the Bible and the Book of Genesis, but what it means to modern readers、uh, can be obviously a variety, a variety of things. I want to just touch on several、um, possibilities. For one thing, it's really very much a poem about human freedom、mm-hmm. and human choice and human responsibility. And when I say human freedom, of course, we hear the word freedom all the time in America. It's being used by different political groups and has different kinds of meanings and so on.、Uh, for Milton, human freedom also had a range of meanings、uh, that included、um, theological freedom, the, the freedom to actually、um, have some agency uh, that would. Uh, would lead to your own lead to your own salvation, and this was a, a reaction against、um, some of the severe Reformation theology of, say, of Luther and Calvin,、mm-hmm. but also、um, uh, freedom to uh, uh, choose in the sense of uh, uh, choose your own religious.、Um, uh, behavior, your own religious、uh, rituals or lack of rituals. Um, and um, and also political freedom is crucial.、Um, mm-hmm. The、uh, Milton was a writer who emerged from the a period of the English Revolution when the when in fact the King of England Charles the First was executed and was seen、mm-hmm. as tyrannical and authoritarian and so on. And Milton was a great believer in in political freedom. He wasn't a Democrat, but he still 
believed in political freedom in the sense of being able to choose or to get rid of mm-hmm. your 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 political leader if he or she turned out to be unworthy. Um, there's another um, way in which I think Paradise Lost uh, can perhaps speak to modern readers. Um, and this is something I've thought of rather recently when I saw the remarkable images of the James Webb telescope. And the reason I mention this is that uh, Milton was clearly interested in astronomy and, and, and science, and he was interested in the uh, debates about astronomy uh, in, in the early modern period, that mm-hmm. is, debates that um, uh, were stimulated by Copernicus and, and Galileo. Galileo, of course, was um, was an as- astronomer and, and mathematician who uh, observed the moon as well as Jupiter and the stars around it and so on and basically opened up a whole kind of new sky as it were mm-hmm. that challenged the traditional um, Ptolemaic and Aristotelian view of the cosmos um, and um, uh, for one thing of course Galileo challenged the idea that the earth was the center of the universe and, and so on and that instead uh, Galileo emphasized, as Copernicus had done, mm-hmm. that the uh, that the Earth moves and it revolves around the Sun. Now, why do I mention all of this? Well, all of this comes up in in Paradise Lost, and in fact, Milton had made a trip to Europe in 1638 and 1639 mm-hmm. uh, when he was a young man, and had in fact met Galileo. Wow! And Galileo was at that point under house arrest because his writings and his discoveries, his dramatic discoveries, had basically seemed to be uh, heretical and, of course, again, challenged a tr- traditional worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, so Milton ad- admired Galileo, and Galileo's the only other um, person besides modern person besides Milton himself who's actually mentioned in Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's mentioned three times or alluded to three times in Paradise Lost. So, but to get back to your question of why this might all matter to modern readers, well, Milton was interested in the speculation about the cosmos and about um, inquiries into the nature of the cosmos, interested in astronomy clearly, as I said. And he actually creates a kind of debate in the eighth book of Paradise Lost between Adam, our our first father, and an angel, Raphael, who comes down, who's sent down by God basically to uh, to educate Adam and Eve, um, sent down to Earth. And uh, the education involves the education about the cosmos, about astronomy. But what's interesting in this debate, and one of the things that really struck me recently in viewing those amazing images from the James Webb telescope was that, you know, we have this intense curiosity about the limitations of the universe. Of course, we're finding out more and more about the universe and about other galaxies and so on. Adam himself, by the way, is an amateur astronomer, uh, and he's very interested in finding out more about the universe. And Raphael allows him to ask questions about it. And, and this is in Book 8 of Paradise Lost. But I think one of the things that's interesting about Paradise Lost is that Raphael, um, 
he condones or he allows astronomical speculation. And again, and he does so in a way, by the way, that clearly highlights some of Galileo's discoveries. Mm-hmm. He basically says to Adam, what if in fact it's really the earth that moves around the sun and the sun is the center of the universe. That's right. Um, and he mentions the fact that there is a terrestrial moon, which is of course very crucial in, in, in Galileo's writings. That is the idea that the moon and the landscape or the moonscape it has got mountains and valleys and so on. That was also, in other words, the moon was not just a perfect spherical um, celestial body as it is in Aristotelian cosmology. So um, all of this comes out in the course of the dialogue between Adam and the angel about astronomy. But the angel also says to Adam, you know, it's really important that you take care of the fruitful earth, that you be lowly wise. And he also so it says, dream not of other worlds and so on and the creatures that might live there and so on. And I mention all of this because Paradise Lost, in a way, uh, one of the ways I think it can speak to us uh, is that it kind of opens up a kind of dialogue between the degree to which we care about the world before us and the degree to which we are fascinated by the limitations or the lack of limitations of the universe. And, you know, at a moment when our world is basically burning up, where we're not very good guardians of our own world, mm-hmm. there's a, there, you could say, in a sense, Paradise Lost underscores that we also need to be lowly wise. We need to be better guardians of our own world, even as we engage in astronomical inquiry. So that would, uh, I just mentioned this because, again, because it was because of the James Webb images that I, I began to think that, really think of Paradise Lost in these terms, and that it was, in a sense, raising this kind of, uh, these kinds of questions. How do you value the world before us, the fruitful earth, as the angel calls it, uh, versus engaging in speculation about the, uh, speculation about the universe? So understanding Milton's time and his career is the key to understanding Paradise Lost and appreciating its complexity as a great work of art. We're looking at an era that is known according to Western literary tradition as the early modern period. And this tumultuous historical junction is marked with major religious transformation and cultural renaissance. So what are the key historical events and contexts that undergird Paradise Lost, rich aesthetic and political complexity, you think? Well, let me highlight two. Um, first of all, there is the, the Reformation in Europe and, of course, in England. And really, the right word for it would be Reformations, that there were multiple Reformations that took place. Um, but they were really sparked by, uh, in the early 16th century, Luther and Calvin, uh, who obviously rejected the authority of the Church of Rome. And, um, and of course, there were many other Protestant reformers, uh, Oryx Zwingli, for example, uh, who took somewhat different positions, particularly on the Eucharist or the Mass. Um, but the Reformation itself uh, also generated a kind of fierce debate mm-hmm. um, about the nature of human free will. And in the in the 1520s, for example, there is um, 
uh, an intense debate between Erasmus, who is one of the great European humanists and one of the great European writers, uh, and Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is very scornful of Erasmus because Erasmus wants to allow for some element of human agency when it comes to matters of salvation, whereas, of course, Luther sees God as not only remote, but uh, God as a kind of, uh, you know, an all-powerful God uh, who, uh, who does not allow any kind of human agency. Uh, and then when you have Calvin, of course, you particularly get the idea of predestination being highlighted, though it's there also in Luther, but, and that is that you are predestined to either damnation or salvation, and most of us are predestined to, to damnation. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, in some ways, frightening kind of uh, theological perspective. Um, and I mention all of this because these issues then get dramatized in Paradise Lost itself. Uh, I've already mentioned how important human free will when it comes to salvation is, and in fact, Paradise Lost is, is, among other things, a theological epic, and that is that in Book 3 of Paradise Lost, there is a debate between God the Father and the Son of God, and it is about the nature of human freedom when it comes to salvation, as well as um, God saying that I will have nothing to do with predestination, so God, Milton's God is rejecting Reformation and predestination. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, in a way, the very intense debate between Luther and Erasmus, who, who again wanted to make some room for human free will and when it came to matters of salvation, that anticipates really the, the kind of key theological subject matter of, of Paradise Lost. Now, another crucial context, which is related to this in a sense, is the period of the English Revolution in the mid-17th century from about 1640 to 1660. Mm -hmm. This is a time of enormous upheaval. Of course, it's also a time of civil war uh, when Parliament is engaged in civil war against Charles I. So it's a time of political upheaval. But it's also a time of political, uh, of, I should say, it's a time of religious fragmentation and the fragmentation of Protestantism within England. And what I mean by that is by, certainly by 1600, if not before, England was basically a Protestant country. Mm -hmm. You go back to the early 16th century, it's a Catholic country. A Queen Elizabeth comes the Queen 1558, is, 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 a, is a Protestant queen. But in the English Revolution, you have different Protestant groups who are trying to break away from the state or the established church of England. Mm -hmm. And some of these Protestant groups are quite radical. The most obvious of these groups, or the one that still is around all over the world, are the Quakers. The Quakers emerged during the English Revolution. And they, of course, completely reject the idea of a national church. Milton also rejected the idea of a national church. Mm -hmm. uh, and the English Revolution is a time of enormous uh, religious and political upheaval. And I, I mention that as an important context for Paradise Lost because Milton is beginning to write Paradise Lost at the end of the 1650s. He's also engaged in writing political and religious tracts during the English Revolution. He, in a sense, becomes more radicalized as a result of the English Revolution. Um, he ends up writing tracts that defend the experimental English Republic that is established after Charles I is executed in 1649. Mm -hmm. And he also um, 
he also ends up writing tracks that defend re- different re- Protestant groups and ro- Protestant sects. That's right. And he also writes tracks that defend the liberty of conscience, hmm. that no civil or ecclesiastical power should be able to force a conscience. And these kinds of issues and themes play an important part in Paradise Lost, because Paradise Lost, among other things, is although it's it's about the fall of humankind and its tragic consequences, it's also a poem that's in, in a way highly political. Satan's rebellion against God is highly political. Satan uses political languages, not just the language of of kind of royalism and so on, mm-hmm. but also the language of republicanism. He uses he manipulates different political languages, and these political languages owed a great deal to the upheavals of the uh, English Revolution, and the emphasis that you get in Paradise Lost in places mm-hmm. on human freedom uh, when it comes to uh, worship or religious mm-hmm. practice. For example, in Book Five of Paradise Lost, Adam and Eve don't have any kind of Church of England ritual. Uh, Now, I might observe that Paradise Lost is published during the Restoration. That means the time in which the Church of England had been reestablished and the King of England had come back. This was the son of Charles I. This was Charles II. So the Restoration, which Milton, by the way, resisted, of course, the Restoration had occurred beginning in 1660. So that Paradise Lost is actually a restoration poem in a sense, but it's a product of the English Revolution. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it's antithetical to the restoration. Right. As you just mentioned, Paradise Lost is purposefully written without a rhyme. So what does this subversive and unconventional form try to tell us? And what are the prize and risks of manifesting oneself as unconventional, especially for Milton at the time? Yes. Well, that's a that's a good question. Paradise Lost is definitely written without rhyme. And in fact, um, readers of Paradise Lost the first edition of Paradise Lost, the 1667 edition of Paradise Lost, wondered why it was written without rhyme. And the reason we know that very well is that Milton was asked to add a note on the verse, which he did, by the way. Um, and it was added to the first edition of Paradise Lost, which went through a, a number of issues mm-hmm. um, before it Milton actually restructured the poem into 12 books. It's first published in 10 books, by the way. Mm -hmm. And in one of those issues in 1668, uh, Milton adds this note on verse, no doubt because the printer, uh, the publisher and the printer of his poem asked him to do so because readers were saying, why doesn't this poem rhyme? And it was, in fact, the custom of the time. Uh, for heroic poems to rhyme. And so a great contemporary of Milton's, John Dryden, is a great um, poet who writes in heroic couplets. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Milton's note on rhyme, Milton says, I'm not going to conform to this restoration convention. I'm not going to use rhyme. One thing he actually says is that, first of all, Homer and Virgil did not use rhyme. So this is one of the ways in which Milton is saying, my poem is a great classic, but it's a great classic in the sense of going back to Homer and Virgil and not using rhyme. Mm-hmm. The thing that's also interesting about the, the note on verse is that 
um, he uses political language. And he says that he is going to recover the heroic poem. We hope you have enjoyed the episode so far. If you want to hear the entire episode, you can subscribe at theglobalnovel.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening.